Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? I'm going well, Winno. Really enthused. I just mentioned you off the air, the start of the NBL season uh, over the weekend, and if that didn't get you up and about, then I'm not sure what will, but... Um, probably nothing. Yeah, so probably, probably not that much, really, but, but more <laughs> content to consume um, over the summer, at least, but uh, watch the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers debut. Is that the uh, worst the Is that the worst name in the history of sports, the, the Jack well, Jumpers? Is, is it some... I'm assuming it's some sort of native creature or bug to Tasmania or something, is it? Well, yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but it doesn't roll off the tongue uh, too well, but look, they had... Their arena jumping there, I think four and a half thousand Tasmanians piled into, I think the first time in 26 years that they had a, a home team playing down in Tassie in the NBL. So it was yeah, certainly exciting for, for them down there to have their own team in the league. And not that it was a, a classic match by any stretch. It did go even into overtime against the Brisbane Bullets, but um, the quality wasn't great, I didn't think, on that particular game. But yeah, no, good to have some more basketball to consume, as I said, throughout the summer. Is it's, yeah, we, we don't have enough basketball to consume, do we, Caddy? So it's always good <laughs> when the when the local NBL gets up and about, and obviously the, the Melbourne United off to a bit of a slow start as well in their title defence. Uh, not surprisingly, not surprising given that they've lost uh, Jock Landale, but it'll be interesting to see how they stack up over the course of the season. They're also missing, of course, Chris Golding out with a with a hamstring injury, I think it is. So hopefully. They can get him back into the fray pretty shortly. But, Caddy, uh, to borrow a phrase from the great Eddie Maguire, what a big week it's been in basketball. We've had injuries. We've had surgeries. We've had health and safety protocols. We've had firings. We've had streaks. We've had record margins. So we've got a lot to to touch on tonight, Caddy. But uh, what we'll start with is oh, a bit of a downer. Uh, sorry to do that to everybody. But, but the injuries, as I said, there's been a – a significant amount of injuries and surgeries that have happened over the last uh, week. Uh, so we'll just run through all of those, Caddy, and just sort of touch on what they mean uh, for each of the teams. So we'll start with Bam Adebayo, who had surgery on a thumb. Now, the reports are he could miss anywhere between four to eight weeks. So obviously that's a, a pretty large window, depending on how he heals. He's already missed three games. Jimmy Butler, I believe, has also missed those three games as well, and they've had Two losses to Cleveland and Milwaukee. So obviously missing uh, what Bam Adebayo, no surprisingly, brings to the table given his status amongst the Miami team. Miami are now 14-10 and 10 and they've slid to fifth in the East. They're actually only two and a half games up on the 11th-seeded uh, New York Knicks. So, Caddy, for you, how concerned are you about this injury to Bam Adebayo given how long he's going to be out for? Yeah, clearly not ideal. I mean, it's um, you know he was playing terrific basketball, averaging the 18 18- points and 10 rebounds a game, shooting 52% from the field. So he'd come out of the gates really well, probably an all-star level uh, form, I would have thought. Um, yeah, look, it's going to hurt them, no doubt. They do have you know a veteran backup there in Dwayne Dedman, but look, certainly not on the same level or the same stratosphere anywhere near Bam. But yeah, look, we, we, we did lord, I suppose, Miami's depth there a couple of weeks ago about, you know, that they are built reasonably well and, and deep through the roster. But yeah, guy, to miss a guy like Bam, I think in isolation it is obviously not ideal, but then yeah, to have that compounded by Jimmy Butler missing those same games as well, um, it's really yeah, clearly sort of uh, stretched them um, a hell of a lot, and and it's going to make it really difficult over the next uh, period of time. And as you, as you mentioned, it's not not just a week or two; it's you know well into the new year that we won't see him back in action. And um, those thumb injuries are yeah, obviously not not great to play with and and take a, a long time to heal. So. 
look, they're going to miss Bam absolutely, and and the way that the uh, Eastern Conference is you know pretty packed up, even a, a slight sort of uh, losing streak can really um, catapult you you know right down to below the playing tournament. Really, it's it's really tight, um, pretty much from one through what are we through to twelve. Um, there's a bit of a gap there with Brooklyn and even Chicago now at the top, but yeah, all the way Miami in the fifth seed, fourteen and ten, and then Atlanta in the tenth at twelve and eleven. It's only a game and a half difference, so they don't want to probably get on too much of a slide um, initially. Uh, while while bands out, they've got to sort of hang as tough as they can and and try and at least run five hundred, I suppose, for or, or above five hundred. I would have thought to to make sure they get through Christmas and the New Year in in reasonable shape and and safely inside the, the eight or ten. Yeah, I reckon it would it would be a win for them if they could if they could bat at five hundred in his absence. He, he's, you know, J- Jimmy Butler has had a fantastic start to the season, and, and rightfully so has been brought up amongst the discussions of the early leaders for the MVP. But you know, Bam Adebayo is just as important to the makeup of this Miami Heat team uh, as Jimmy Butler is. He's just so versatile on offense. He can he can shoot the ball. He can play make. He obviously provides him with a really good you know roller to the rim, which which sucks the defense in. So you know he, he, you can't replicate what he brings to the table uh, offensively, but defensively especially, he's he's an early leader for the for the defensive player of the year. He can switch out on the guards and hang with them. He protects the rim really well. He's he's just so nimble, um, as I said, on the perimeter and, and protecting the rim. So. You know, Dwayne Denman is is a good backup, but when he's your starting centre, he's clearly a below-average starting centre in the NBA. So it's going to be a real adjustment period for the Miami Heat. Um, we've seen Omir Yurtseven start to get some more minutes as that backup five. Uh, he had a good summer league, and there was a bit of a spruik on him. He, he was putting up some monster numbers in, the, in that summer league, but we hadn't really seen him get too many minutes during the season, but he's been sort of thrust into the into the fray over the last couple of games. It looked okay, but as I said, they just can't bring anybody in who can replicate what Bam Adebayo can do. So, you know, if Jimmy Butler misses a game, you, you can count on Tyler Hero or Kyle Lowry uh, to pick up the slack a little bit, but but nobody can replicate what Bam does. So they, they need Markeith Morris to get healthy. <laughs> Amazingly, he's been out since that incident with uh, Nikola Jokic, and there hasn't really been an update uh, as to say when he will get back out on the court. So th- this is a huge blow for Miami. As you, you mentioned, that he was probably in all-star you know, consideration based on his form this season, and he certainly was. He, he, he'd had a fantastic start to the season. You ran through his numbers. So, yeah, my, Miami are, are in real danger of sliding down the standings. You, you mentioned how tight it is in the Eastern Conference, and it's, you know, in years gone by, you could probably get away with one of your – your top two or three players missing a chunk of the season. But this year, it's just so competitive right down to 12, you said Toronto. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen with them. New York will obviously be pushing hard for the playoffs. So, yeah, hopefully for myself, being a Miami Heat fan, it can be somewhere between that that four to five-week bracket because if it stretches out for any longer, you know, they could dig a really big hole. And, and it'll be interesting to see what happens if they do finish in that lower heart of – part of the Eastern Conference because of this injury. Some of those top teams, I think, will be pretty nervous going into the playoffs. So get well soon, Bam, because every Miami Heat fan is going to miss you over the next four to eight weeks. We'll move on now, Caddy, to to the next – well, surgery is is what we'll talk about here. And it was Michael Porter Jr. We knew he was out with a back injury. We knew it wasn't very good. Uh, But the news came out over the last few days that uh, he'd had back surgery and he was going to miss the rest of the season – now, Denver did say they were being 
very cautious with this. So he's obviously just signed that contract, which hasn't even kicked in yet, the five-year max contract. So I guess rightfully so, they are being cautious. Um, I believe it's his already his third back surgery, which given his age, obviously isn't a very good indication. They've obviously already got Jamal Murray out with injury. PJ Dozier just recently did his ACL. They've also got Bones Highland, the rookie, who has shown some promise, uh, especially shooting the three ball uh, this season. And Austin Rivers also out with health and safety protocols. So their backcourt has just been absolutely decimated at the moment. They did beat the Knicks today, uh, which makes them 11-11, which is seventh in the West. But how concerned – we'll just talk about Porter to, to begin with. How concerned are you, Caddy, that he's now had to have another surgery and, and given they signed him to that max contract, that there's got to be a lot of buyer's remorse, you would imagine, uh, from that contract that they signed him to. Yeah, there has to be. And I think more so the fact that they they weren't exactly on the clock to get that extension signed. Uh, when Bizarre, they isn't it? Yeah. yeah, they could have sort of waited it out and got through to, to uh, the end of this season or their summer uh, to sort of make that decision on Porter Jr. And clearly, you know, had the injury had happened as it has, um, well, I'm pretty sure that that money wouldn't be tied up now for the next five years, and you'd make him sort of have to play into a, a different a different contract number. But look, they've shown their 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 form a few times now with early extensions. They did it with Jamal Murray through the through the whole road of cash at him, and and that that looked to be paying off absolutely as a good decision. Um, but, you know, prior to the ACL injury, and this one again, they they went early and hard with my uh, with Porter, Michael Porter Jr. and yeah, just really unfortunate. And, such an innocuous um, play, I suppose, when he, he looked to hurt it when it was just going up for a, a layup and, and the back went on him. So, yeah, not not ideal to have the three surgeries. Clearly, you know, red flags going into the draft that year. You know, coming out of high school, he was the number one ranked uh, player in the country going into college. And, yeah, clearly the back turned a lot of teams off and he, and he slid down, I think, to pick 14, I think it was, in that draft. And Denver just couldn't allow him to slip any further. And, I heard somewhere uh, during the week on one of the podcasts that John Hollinger had actually he was working with Memphis at the time, uh, a team he worked there with 10 years, and he said it was by far the, the worst doctors or medical report he'd ever seen uh, going into that draft and, and, like, clearly the worst. So, yeah, just red flags all over it from, from, from day one. And, look, to his credit, he was able to build his way back in, missed his rookie season, and then it showed himself to you know, be a player of the quality that Denver were prepared to throw you know, the full uh, max extension to. So, yeah, absolutely devastating for Denver um, on the back of the Murray injury. So really two years now you think they're going to be wiped out right in Jokic prime and, you know, they're just years you, you can't get back. And and really longer term, it, it makes it even more difficult to see how this is going to shake out um, if Porter Jr. doesn't come back to, to not only, you know, to, to health but to absolute all-star level. Um, play really that's what they're going to be relying on him to do over the length of his contract however long he's in Denver so yeah disappointing uh, for Porter Jr clearly and disappointing for Denver and, and a lot more now on the the very large shoulders of Nikola Jokic. Well there certainly is and he's he's been more than up to the task he's had a, a fantastic start to the season right back to his MVP form and you mentioned that the John Hollinger I was going to reference that as well because I heard him say the fact that it was the worst medical he'd seen. So it's just, it's baffling, to be honest, that they would sign him to that max uh, contract extension. As you said, they didn't have to. They could have played this season out, seen how to, seen how it went, and then signed it. But given given that, that medical, um, and there was obviously, there was something clearly wrong with him going into this season because 
you mentioned it was a bit of a, an innocuous play where he hurt his back, but he was he clearly wasn't right from from the first game this year. He, he's his shooting was down at thirty five percent. He was averaging less than ten points a game. PAR down at under nine. So it was yeah. He, he it was obviously the the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, when he when he sort of strained it on that play you mentioned. But he clearly wasn't right going into this season. So for me, I just cannot for the life of me understand why they would have signed him to that contract. There is some sort of word out there that there's some injury provisions and maybe they're protected a little bit, you know, with this injury. But it's still, still really surprising that, that that they would have done that. Now we'll talk about it from a Denver's perspective. As I said, they're down to they're down now at seventh in the West, eleven and eleven. There's a whole sort of chunk of teams just behind them. Where do you see them going from here? They're going. To, they're missing their second and third best player now. Jokic is playing at an incredible level, but if he goes down with an injury, they're in a they're in a whole world of strife. Do, do you think they should they should sort of take the foot off the accelerator a little bit? Call call this season a bit of a rebuilding one. I'm not sure how their draft situation is, whether they own their first round draft pick at this stage. But do do you think there's any use sort of really uh, exerting Jokic for the rest of this season, or, or do you think they should sort of throttle it back a little bit? Yeah, I think that's probably the way they're going to have to go. I mean, we, we probably both got it a little bit wrong last year after the Murray injury where we sort of thought that it was, you know, absolutely curtains from there on, but Denver still able to, were able to make a, a reasonable run, and that was on the back of the goal like Porter Jr. stepping up. But you look at the roster now, and there's probably just not that level of player left on, on the roster that's got the potential to 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 step up to that level. I'm even just looking at their, their team list on our fantasy league here and where it shows how many players from that team are on, on on lists and we, there's only four Denver players currently um, signed on <laughs> wow. to, to players list, which is quite unusual and it's a you know a, a reflection of, of the injuries, but also just you know in behind you know their main star Jokic and a bit of Will Barton and Aaron Gordon, it does thin out pretty quickly. You've got Jamichael Green and Jeff Green who will probably hit and miss you know night to night. Jeff Green's really going to have to step up, and we saw that he was able to do that in Brooklyn last year and play a, a reasonably meaningful role. He'll have to certainly do that. Again here, but I look. I'd probably earn on, on the side that it's you know they're clearly not, in my opinion, going to be a contender. Whether whether Jamal Murray comes back or not, even if he does, it'll be baby steps. You know, towards the end of the season, and yeah, without you know Porter Junior as their third, probably best player unavailable as well. It's just going to make it too hard in, in what is a, a really top heavy Western Conference again uh, this season. There's just too many good sides in there for them to get ahead of. So we, you know, I think it's time. You know, as the season goes on, providing you know form and fitness that we can see, you know, a bit of Bones Highland who we saw earlier in the season, um, Zeke Naji, um, hopefully get some more minutes. Does Bold Bold get an opportunity uh, finally to to show his wares? But, I think he's out injured yeah. as well. Yeah, so they they've just been decimated. So yeah, I, I think yeah the season's clearly done in my opinion. Um, but it's yeah how far they're going to be able to fall back, I'm not sure. Yeah, but at this stage, they you know they've lost three of their last ten games and only at five hundred now, eleven and eleven, and what is it, two games ahead of Sacramento in the eleventh seed. So once you get past there, you know, and the Spurs, I suppose, are into that last group, which is the Pelicans, Rockets, and Thunder. You know, I don't think they're ever going to be bad enough to get into that mix. So you know, you're still worst or well, best case if you miss the playoffs, you're probably only going to get a seven, eight, nine, tenth selection maybe in the draft. But look, it's going to be better than. And nothing, and, and probably the opportunities there to to try and um, land one of those lottery picks. Yeah, I reckon the next month or so will give a really good indication of their intentions. So I'll be interested to see 
which path they decide to go down. Uh, we'll move on now to, to the next injury, and that was Dame Lillard, who he's already missed three games with a lower abdominal injury. Uh, it was said he'd probably miss about 10 days or so, but it, it was also mentioned that it's an injury he's been dealing with for a number of seasons. Uh, and we did see during the Olympics, he did, certainly didn't play up to his usual level, and, and this abdominal injury was given as the reason for that uh, happening. So they've had losses to Boston and San Antonio in his absence. Uh, Neil O'Shea was also fired. Uh, the GM was found after an investigation, which I think we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, into his behaviour at the workplace. It was it was uh, deemed that uh, he could no longer continue in his role as GM. So there's a lot of turmoil at the moment going on in Portland. They're 11 and 13. Uh, they're 10th in the West. Only one game up on Sacramento. You know, we just spoke about the West, how tight it is for those last couple of seeds, even into the playing tournament. But how concerned are you about the Portland Trailblazers at the moment, given what's going on off the court and given the fact that Damian Lillard, their best player, has got an injury that he's been dealing with for a number of seasons? There's got to be a lot of question marks hanging over Chauncey Billups, the new head coach, and what direction that they're going to go over the next few weeks. Yeah, look, I've had the concern about Portland from the from the off season, really, I, I I thought at that time it was time to to make a change and probably blow blow it up a little bit there in Portland and and go for a different direction. I think what's happened now with particularly their Neil Olshay uh, firing, it does clear clear the room a little bit to to have someone new come in and have a fresh um, fresh look and a fresh take on it and and look to try and make some moves with this roster. And clearly, with Lillard out, um, it's really affecting Portland. Their last two losses there at home against Boston and the Spurs. Uh, one by 28 points and the other one was at 29 points. So they've been belted the last two games. And they had been really... good at home this season too, hadn't they? Despite the fact that they had a poor record. they I think they were 9-1 and one or something at home leading into that. Yeah. Well, they're still – well, they're 10-3 and three now, so they would have been 10-1 and one going into those last uh, two absolute blowouts. So, yeah, the little bit injury, look, hopefully it's not too serious. But as you mentioned, it's something that potentially has been lingering for a while. He's – at an eight-year low in points, 21.5 points, just the four rebounds as well, shooting pretty much a disastrous 30% from three-point, which is not what we see generally from, from Dame Lillard. So, look, I, I think the opportunities there for the for the franchise and the team to, to make a move, do something drastic, make a decision, put the balls out on the table and, and really try and shake it up because, yeah, as I said, going into the season, I didn't think they had what it took to be a championship-level team. And, and if you're not and you've been in that, um, playoff run for so long like Portland have, then I think you know at, at this stage it is time to, to freshen things up and, and change it up. And with the, as I said, with the changing the um, executive team there, and you, you know a new coach that they've got in there in Jaunty Bullops, um, yeah, I think they all deserve a bit of a fresh start. And, and whether it is you know even Lillard that you know is the guy that that moves, and as we mentioned a number of times, the Ben Simmons piece of this is just sitting there, you know, watching them squarely in the face, and whether it's Simmons and Maxi or someone like that that can go to, to Portland with picks um, to get a guy like Lillard out of there, then you know, I think the, the league's sort of waiting for something um, large like that to drop and, and really you know, throw a cat amongst the pigeons as we go um, into the new year. So, so we've seen we've seen their defence really be poor again this year. It was hoped that, uh, that bringing in Chauncey Billups would perhaps uh, – Right, lift up their, their defensive rating, but they're last. They had dead last in defensive rating, 30th um, in, in the league. And, and Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer put together a really good graphic or, or little video that just sort of illustrated some of the problems that they are having 
uh, defensively. Now they've they'd been more of a drop uh, coverage team in the past. Their center would drop back um, and protect the rim, but this year they're actually blitzing a lot more on that pick and roll, and they're actually blitzing a league high twenty two times a game on that pick and roll. Second most is 15, so you can see how much they are blitzing um, compared to the rest of the league. And it's actually the, the second highest in it was about 20 or something years. Uh, the, the other high was Chicago did that a couple of years ago. But they're blitzing the most in the league comfortably, and they're actually the worst at it, points per possession. So it's a, a little bit confusing that they are doing that so often. But then, you know, the counterpoint to that can be that when they do actually play the drop coverage, that they're one of the worst at that as well. So we heard Neil O'Shea say in the offseason it wasn't the roster construction that was the problem. He was sort of pointing the finger, obviously, by that statement at their former coach, Terry Stotts. But clearly there's something going on with this roster that if no matter what coverage you play on defense, that you're getting lit up. So I agree that they definitely need to make a move. If it was you, would you would you – Pull the trigger on the Dame Lillard um, trade. You know he's he sort of he's bought into it and said in the off season that 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 he wants to stay and and be a one team player for his whole career. So would you would you have the the balls I suppose to pull the trigger on a Lillard trade or, or would you go the more conservative route and, and look to move on CJ McCollum? Yeah, look, that that's certainly the more conservative route and one that would probably appease the Portland fans more. I'm sure, but yeah, look, I'd be I'd go a bit harder and, and I think Lillard Yang and his comments really were probably semantics in a sense. I think there was enough talk and, and coverage prior to that that you know there was at least some thought or discussion that there could be time to, to go somewhere else. And even though you know he's got such a large contract that Portland have, have paid him, I think he's given everything he possibly could to the organisation um, to this point. And I don't think too many people would begrudge him another opportunity of going somewhere else and pairing, you know, with a, a genuinely good, you know, big second star. I don't think he's as good as McCollum Spain or Marcus Aldridge in the past, he's never really had a player at that at the level he's been at. Um, you know, which he's you know clearly had to come up against with other teams over and over again in in the West. So if he could get to another another team that already has a, a, a another a, a level star in place, then it's only going to I think um, work in his favour to to continue to motivate him and and you know, hopefully. Get him some silverware at the end of at the end of the season, but um, yeah, be really it's an interesting watch, absolutely. But I think if they just continue to go down this path as they are this year, they'll continue to fall. And as I mentioned, their their pick does go to Chicago if they if um, if it sort of sits outside the top ten or twelve, I think it is. So that's probably where they're going to sit in that sort of picks twelve to twenty range. And if, if they do the, the pick go, so there's no incentive really to to be in the middle of the pack. They're either going to get right down the bottom or. Um, try and you know make a win now move to to push back up. Yeah, well they do actually have the longest active playoff streak in the NBA, so they've always been around the mark. Never really have we considered considered them a real title threat. So yeah, I agree. I think it's time to to move on from from Dame, get what you can, sort of reboot, I suppose, and uh, yeah, hopefully over the next couple of seasons you can get some some high draft picks and 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 rebuild that way. We'll move on now, Caddy, to to another surgery this one was. So it was Brooke Lopez who who played the opening game of the season and then had, hadn't played since then. They were obviously trying to rehab his back and, and, and strengthen it up in, in some variety of way uh, and try to avoid the surgery. But uh, we, we did see they signed DeMarcus Cousins during the week and there was a few eyebrows raised. Well, hang on, what's going on here? There must be a reason for this. And then it was announced the following day that Brooke Lopez 
had had surgery on his back. We've obviously already spoken about the fact that Michael Porter Jr. has had surgery on his back, so it's never good having surgery on the back. Zach Lowe did say, though, that he's had spoken to some people close to Brook Lopez and there was some opt- optimism that he could return in time for the playoffs. So Milwaukee, uh, after their win today against Miami, a 15-9. They've been on a real tear of late. They've moved themselves up into third in the East, uh, only one and a half games behind Brooklyn. So how big an impact, Caddy, do you think this is going to have for the Milwaukee Bucks? Now, Brook Lopez has been a cornerstone of their team for the last sort of three or four years or however long he's been there. You know, he's does he can get played off the floor in playoff games as we saw during Brooklyn, but he he's been crucial to their defense. He was he finished pretty high in defensive player of the year a couple of seasons ago. I want to say he finished third. Might have even been the year that Giannis won it. And obviously his ability to stretch the floor as well is really crucial to them. So do you think this is going to impact uh, Milwaukee, let, let's just say he doesn't come back at all. Do you think this will impact Milwaukee's uh, title chances, or do you think they have enough coverage? And you know, given how good Giannis is, and the fact that when you know Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton have played together, that I think they're nine and zero this season. So th- th- they're winning without him. So do you think they'll be able to get by uh, without Brook Lopez if he doesn't play again this season? Yeah, I think so. I, I think, you know, as good as Brook Lopez has been um, over the journey for the Bucks, he averaged 12 points and five rebounds and one and a half blocks for them last year. Clearly another guy that stretches the floor. He really, you know, since he got to Milwaukee from LA, his three-point shooting just continued to improve. And But look, I think his, his role was certainly starting to diminish um, last year and then it, you know, it, looked, it looked like it was going to head that way again this year. And the guy that's really stepped up in, the, in his absence has been Bobby Porter. So he's a guy that's now you know, really becoming a, a focal point on the offense where before he was, you know, really just coming in as a bit of an energy guy off the bench um, for the most part of last year until, you know, he had some really pivotal moments in the playoffs. Whereas this year, you know, averaging sort of closer to the 30 minutes a game, he's got the 15 points, eight rebounds. So he's been able to sort of fill in those points that Lopez was getting last year and then some. Uh, he's shooting the three ball uh, as well, reasonably well this year. He's rebounding at a, at a great rate. So he's a guy that's stepped up. You've mentioned Cousins has come into Gibson. Um, support to that roster in the big man department. And there'll be other avenues as the season goes on, I'm sure, for Milwaukee if Lopez isn't available to continue to add to that. So whether that's in the buyout market or the free aid, uh, sorry, the trade market, they'll, I'm sure they'll be keeping an eye towards that um, to continue to sort of fill it out and make sure they're covered in, in all areas of the roster. And, you know, they clearly, you know, started the season really slowly in Milwaukee. They had a number of reasons for that. It wasn't just Lopez out. It was Wilson Holiday with some games. Giannis had sort of looked a bit like he was labouring a little bit and now has missed it the last couple of games. So they were, they've been able to work their way back into that top three in, in the East where at the start, you know, even a couple of weeks ago, I think that was in the 10th or 11th spot. Um, so they, they went on a really good run there for a week or two, um, which is all it takes, as we mentioned, to, to be able to, you know, really get yourself back back up towards the top. So I'm not as concerned for the Bucks longer term if Lopez does miss, you know, clearly, He's a guy that's well-loved in that locker room and, and you know, does give them a, a point of difference from, from outside the arc and, and also on the defensive end. But I think they're pretty well-served with, with Portis there now stepping up into those minutes and, and really contributing a lot more, I think, than, than whatever Lopez was last year. So if they can continue to look around the league and, and see if there's someone else that can come in as a another backup again to, to Cousins, probably, um, I think that's probably what they'll they'll do with all them. Sign Wes Matthews is, um, you know, certainly not in the big man department, but another wing player. So they're, they're clearly looking around for available um, veterans that can continue to help this Milwaukee team. And 
I'm pretty bullish on the Bucks. I think they're going to be right there amongst it again this season. Yeah, it's certainly looking that way. As you said, that they've really started rolling after those early season injuries. They're certainly looking the most dangerous team in, in the East anyway, and obviously given the fact that they've got that championship-winning sort of confidence from last year, for me, they're the team to beat in the East. And But but it does it does sort of throw a little bit of a question mark on them. You mentioned the fact that Lopez's role had started to diminish, and it certainly has. I mean, their best lineup is, is probably Giannis at the five and, and four shooters around him, and, you know, Grayson Allen's come in, you know, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and if they can, George Hill, if they can surround him with four shooters, that, that's a very, very dangerous lineup. But I think they just, they just need some guys some guys to eat some minutes at the five. So, you know, you mentioned how good Bobby Portis has been. That That's certainly true. DeMarcus Cousins has come in and, and sort of given them some offensive punch. And I totally agree. I think they're going to either look for, for a, a veteran big on the buyout market or maybe they sort of dangle out Dante DiVincenzo, who, who's still out with an injury, um, and, and see if they can get a bite to, to add you know, a quality sort of big, just in case they come up against a, a Joel Embiid or something during the playoffs. But, yeah, for me, Milwaukee is certainly the team to beat in the East at the moment. Uh, missing Lopez certainly is a blow to them, but I think they can cover for him enough, um, given that I think they'll probably add somebody over the next month or so. We'll move on now, Caddy, to, a, to, a, to another injury. Well, more so a setback. So it was announced during the week that Zion Williamson, uh, had had a setback with some soreness in his right foot. It was only five days early that he'd been cleared for full uh, basketball activity. So we don't know how much longer um, this sort of, whether it sets him back two, three, four weeks, we don't know. New Orleans are 7 and 18th, uh, 13th in the West. They'd actually, they've actually won four of six. They'd started to play some pretty decent basketball. But again, Caddy, this, this is just uh, a devastating blow for all uh, Pelicans fans. Um, and just sort of continues to, to this long sort of winded, I guess, injury of Zion Williamson. We didn't know what was happening at the start of the season. He, his return date keeps getting pushed further and further and further out. And, and if it was me, for me, I think that the Pelicans should just hold him out till January, Feb, uh, make sure he's nice and healthy, plummet in the standings, get a nice draft pick and go from there. But but what about for you? Was it disappointing to hear, to hear that Williamson uh, will be delayed or was it not surprising? Oh, it's not surprising. Look, it's disappointing because we want to see him play, but de- definitely not surprising. I think they should just call it and say, look, you know, he's out until after the All-Star break and just put a, put a, a really big gap into the expectation of when, you know, fans and, and media are expecting to come back because it, I think it, it's clearly if they're trying to rush him back here, it's a, a type of injury that's going to continue to, to send him back. And, and it's best just to get as much conditioning in as possible before he does get back to competition because he doesn't want to come out and, uh, and not be at the level that you know I'm sure he'd love to be playing at. So I'd, I'd just rubber stamp him out until at least the All-Star break. And then, you know, I think it was Kendrick Perkins maybe this week mentioned they'd just sit him for the whole year and basically ride it off and, and start again next year. And then I'm probably here more, more to that side as well. I think there's nothing to gain uh, from clearly from the Pelicans' point of view to, to bring him back um, or to rushing back this season. And the better condition he can come back in, the longer the better chance I'm sure that foot is of staying healthy longer term. So yeah, no surprise, disappointing, but um, yeah, I, I think they just sort of need to call it now and, and give him a, a sustained lay, layoff. Not that he's already had one, but to at least take the take the heat out of the conversation and. Um, yeah, and it'll stop, um, you know, popular podcasts like ours having to discussing it every other week. 
Yeah, look, it's such a shame, isn't it, that, that he just can't seem to get himself healthy. It looks like they have been pretty conservative with it. Like, they're not rushing him back, I don't think. But, uh, yeah, maybe uh, Perk's onto something there, just sit, sitting for the season. I mean, they're going to be guided by what Zion, Zion wants. They're not going to sit him down if he doesn't want to play. So if he wants to get back out on the court, that that is what will happen. Make no mistake about that. They're... They're trying to re-sign him, so they're just basically going to do whatever he likes. But as you said, he's not going to be in tip-top condition, so it's going to take a while for him to get back to to some sort of conditioning that, that's going to allow him to play, to play the basketball he did last season. So hopefully it's sooner rather than later, but I, I agree. I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see Zion until after the All-Star break. Uh, well, I thought that was going to be it for the injuries, but we got a couple of more today. Not injuries, but unfortunately for the, the Charlotte Hornets, Caddy, it was announced today that uh, Lamelo Ball and Terry Rozier are expected to miss uh, several games due to the health and safety protocols. They're actually on a bit of a losing streak, the Charlotte Hornets. They've lost their last three games. They slid to 13-11, good for eighth in the East. So their next four games, let's say that uh, Lamelo and, and Rozier miss the next four games. Their next four games are Atlanta, Philly, Philly, and Sacramento. So there's certainly no pushover teams. I mean, how concerned are you, Caddy, that, that these two guys, they're starting backcourt and, and Lamelo's having an absolutely outstanding season and we know how, how good Terry Rozier is, especially in fourth quarters. How concerned are you, Caddy, that, that this three-game losing streak could could stretch out to six or seven games in the absence of their starting backcourt? I think it will stretch out. Look, not only is it those two guys, Rozier and Ball, it's now also... Jalen Daniels and Mason Plumley, who also had to enter the safe, uh, safety protocol. So that's four rotation players. They'll be lucky to field a team in the next start. I think they're already looking to apply uh, to the league to get it. Uh, too bad, too bad you did your knee, Caddy. You might have had a chance. <laughs> I think they'd have to be really, really falling apart uh, to even consider that. But um, don't underestimate your outside shooting. <laughs> now this is a disaster for Charlotte, and look, they've been pretty brave uh, this season and, and have played. Played really good basketball, exciting basketball. You know, one of the most pleasurable teams to, to watch on any given night. And you know, they really took it up. I think it was against the Milwaukee Bucks the other night. They got done by two points. But it took a you know a monster Giannis game to to what an ending to the over. game. That that was crazy, wasn't it? That that shot that Giannis hit. I don't know if you saw the replay. They had a slow motion replay of that it hit the bottom sort of padding or whatever it is on on the bottom of that backboard. It was just incredible that he got the English to to get it back to go in. Yeah, and then even the, the heave at the end of the game, I think, uh, from yeah. the Charlotte nearly went in and would have been the longest make of all time. But, um, yeah, look, they've been really competitive. But this is, you know, 13 and 11 is only good for eight. And if they drop, you know, as you mentioned, these four games, and ironically, the, the, as you said, Atlanta and two against Philly, now they're, they're sitting in the two spots directly below them, both at 12 and 11. So if you're giving your, your opposition and, and the teams you're competing with for the, some of those playoff spots such a, you know, such an opening, then, you know, it's going to be a bit of a free-fall, I think, for Charlotte over the next couple of weeks. Just You just can't combat that. And the COVID stuff has really, you know, sucked the life out of the of this part of the season. There's so many teams now being affected by it. Um, you know, we saw LeBron getting caught up in it um, during the week with a, a false negative, I think it was. And, um, yeah, so it's just going to be uh, uh, such a inconvenience again this season, clearly, that, um, players are going to be catching it, spreading it, and missing missing plenty of time because of it. And, you know, we've seen Joel Embiid, another one that you know missed a lot of time. Cleveland got um, cleaned up with that for a while. Even the Chicago Bulls now have got a few issues, and it tends to you know clearly once one or two players get it, it's probably another one or two the week after. So 
in this case, um, Charlotte at all four that have gone bang straight into the protocol, and that's yeah, just going to put too much pressure on the rest of their players. I think in the short term to be able to stand up, and that's notwithstanding any any of the other players um, <laughs> catching it too now. So who knows? It'll be a, a watch this space for sure. It'd be interesting to see what happens. It happened to Washington last year, didn't it? Where they didn't play a game for for quite a while, I think. So yeah, it's certainly not not ideal timing. They might have caught a break tomorrow. It looks like Trey Young, unfortunately for my uh, fantasy team caddy, might be missing in that game against Atlanta. But yeah, they're certainly starting behind the eight ball with their with their backcourt out. So hopefully those two guys can get back. ASAP and, and Charlotte don't slide too far down the standings as a result because, yeah, it's as you said, it's just thro- throwing real chaos to the season at the moment, these health and safety protocols. The sooner we see the back of them, uh, certainly the better for the league. So, Caddy, it's time to be positive. We've been very negative with all these injuries, but we got some positive news during the week, and that was uh, Josh Giddy was named the Western Conference Rookie of the Month. Evan Mobley was named the Eastern Conference Rookie of the Month, but just an outstanding effort by Josh Giddy to win the Western Conference Rookie of the Month. It must be said that you know, probably the best three rookies of the season so far have been in the East in Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, and probably Cade Cunningham, despite the fact he did miss the first portion of the season. But he did beat out Jalen Green, who is the, the number two pick to the Houston Rockets and was also the, the preseason favourite to win Rookie of the Year. So all credit to Giddy. It was sort of seen... The OKC may be taking a bit of a punt on a guy that would be a slow developer and would sort of uh, cause them to, to to be a bad team again. Now, we'll speak about what happened during the week a little bit later, but full credit to Giddy. I think he's probably certainly ahead of even where maybe even Oklahoma City Thunder thought he might, he might have been. So he's a big playmaker. His passing is almost at an elite level in the NBA already. He's certainly... Needs to come along as an offensive player. He, he's shooting only you know twenty five percent from three, uh, 65% from the free throw line. So he certainly needs to improve his offensive game. But but just his natural passing abilities and and his size is just a real weapon. And and a full credit to him for for the for the start of the season or start to his career he's had in the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great to watch. And yeah, clearly the OKC are on a on a massive slide now and, and not. Not expect uh, unexpected, but Giddy's been a, a real shining light. He's got the ten points. What is it? Seven rebounds, five point eight assists. So he ranks first in all rookies in assists, third in rebounds, and eighth in in scoring. And uh, I think it was the the number that they showed this week. It was the uh, just the third teenager in history behind LeBron James and one mellow ball to notch up at least a hundred assists and a hundred rebounds in their first twenty games. So pretty good company, yeah. uh, absolutely there and. Um, yeah, I think it was the first OKC player to get a Rookie of the Month uh, since about the 2008-9 season. So that's yeah, 12, 13 years since that had happened, and they've obviously had a lot of a lot of rookies go through there over the journey. And um, yeah, first one to get the Rookie of the Month in a long time there for OKC. So he, he's started off really well, and I think he, you know, when you hear the commentators um, commentating him, the local guys there, they love him, and I think the fans are really enjoying what he's bringing to the table as well. And I think. At least with these Australian players, you just know you're going to get that level of effort night in, night out. And um, yeah, clearly Giddy's got that built built in him. You know, the um, the son of Warwick Giddy from from the Melbourne Tigers always. He didn't leave anything out on the table either. All those years um, playing in the NBL, so the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree there. And um, clearly, you know, just on another level from a talent point of view to his father. But no, he started off tremendously well, and, and hopefully can continue that when he gets back. He missed the last game as well. 
I think it was well, I think it was non-COVID um, sort of illness. So hopefully he can get back into the lineup and help out his teammates. He got absolutely um, slaughtered the yeah. other night against um, Memphis. They certainly did. And you mentioned, Caddy, at the start of the season that you thought this Oklahoma City Thunder team could be the worst team in the history of the NBA. And I said to you a couple of weeks ago that you probably needed to uh, eat some humble pie on that comment. Well, maybe you don't now, Caddy. They, as you said, they got absolutely smashed in the last game against Memphis. 152 to 79. So they lost by 73 points, uh, eclipsing the previous uh, record of 68 points where Cleveland beat Miami back in 1991. And when the scores were filtering through during the day, you know, on Twitter and popped up on my phone, I dead set thought it was a, a misprint. I was like, well, that, what's happened there? That can't be the actual score. What, what's, what's going on there? But it was just unbelievable. As you said, Giddy missed it. Shea Gilgis Alexander was also out with an injury, but they come, they weren't coming up against you know the, the Warriors with KD and and Steph Curry. They were coming up against the Memphis Grizzlies, who who have had some big losses of their own. And Ja Morant, their best player, was without with an injury. So this was just an absolutely incredible uh, loss. Uh, obviously, a history making loss. So now, in the last calendar year, so the the back end of last year, they had the the biggest uh, loss at home in the history of the NBA, and now they've got the biggest a way loss in the history of the NBA. So clearly things aren't going great uh, for the OKC Thunder at the moment. But w- what did you think, Caddy, when you saw that uh, that score pop up on your phone? Yeah, look, it, it happened pretty quickly and pretty swiftly early in that game. I think you kind of thought, oh, well, it'll get to 40-odd or high 30s. And generally when it gets to there, it might come back into the high 20s and the benches all come in. But this thing just kept blowing out further and further. It was quite extraordinary. So, um, look, I, I think... In the end, it, you know, you said it hasn't been going to plan for OK. So I think it's going exactly to plan. They've lost eight in a row. Now they finally got their way to the bottom of the east. Uh, sorry, the bottom of the west, uh, Houston, <laughs> which is the team that was really struggling. They've gone on their own five-game winning streak, and um, which is quite incredible in itself. So OK, so I think now will we'll clearly tumble down and, and remain there at the bottom of the west. I think they're going to fail. Um, weaker team than what Houston can potentially put out on any given night. So um, they're, they're right where they want to be. And, you know, let's just hope that they at least play their players through the season and, and yeah, don't don't uh, put them in for early surgeries or anything just to confound the issue because there's clearly very little depth on this roster. And, and, and I think it's just um, not ideal for young players to get beaten up like that, particularly if it continues for, for too much longer. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I reckon the NBA will step in if we start seeing some, not that you're going to expect them to lose by 70 points every night, but if they're getting blown out by 30-odd points on most nights, if if they do send uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander off for a surgery or whatever, I, I'd expect the league would step in and make sure that uh, that doesn't continue. So, yeah, not a great week if you're an AKC Thunder fan. But what we did see, Caddy, during the week was the best two teams, certainly in the Western Conference anyway, the Phoenix Suns and Golden State, that they met twice in, in, in a bit of a rarity when, when you get two really good teams playing uh, against each other in such quick succession. So in the first game was uh, at Phoenix, uh, and Phoenix come away with the win 104-96 despite the fact that Devin Booker injured his hamstring in, that, uh, in the second quarter. He didn't play at all in the second half. And then, not surprisingly, you, you saw Golden State bounce back at home you know, we, we saw Steph Curry was so poor in that first game. He actually had the worst shooting game of his career. Uh, four from 21, that was the least amount of field goals he'd hit when attempting at least 20 shots in his career. So 
We'll start from a from a Golden State perspective. Out of game one, Caddy, did you see anything that Phoenix did that you think could trouble Golden State going forward? I think the, in that first game, it was in the big men department, I think, which was clearly the issue for Golden State. They you know, so regularly are able to mitigate any weakness they have in that department just with the way they play. And Draymond Green's you know, terrific defence and ability to play you know, small ball five. But I think in this one, it was DeAndre Ayton that really got going. He had the 19 field goal attempts. 11 of 19, 24 points and 11 boards, six offensive rebounds. So he was able to control the interior on that game. And it probably was for the first time this season where you're really starting to go, okay, well, that's where the issue is. It's in the big man department. Uh, Kevon Looney's probably not the, the the answer there. And, you know, then all of a sudden there's a lot of trade discussions around what potentially they could give up to get a, 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 a higher level big into the team, whether it be a guy like Mollis Turner from Indiana or Sabonis or someone like that to split split out their uh, two-headed monster there and potentially, you know, cut the cord with guys like James Wiseman or um, even Kaminga or Moody, the, the first-round picks over the last couple of years. So, Would you do I that, Caddy? That, that was the, the one that was bandied around quite a bit. Miles Turner, I think, is probably the one that would be more realistic. Would you do a Wiseman and maybe a Moses Moody? They're pretty keen on Kaminga, but what about throwing away the number two pick from last year and a... And a and a lottery pick this year in Moody to bring in a Miles Turner to protect the rim and obviously give him some outside shooting. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I think it's a real study in terms of short-term um, win now versus you know continued build over a, a longer sustained period. But they're clearly in a window this season where they're going to be a legitimate title chance if Clay Thompson comes back in any in sort of form, another year of Steph in his peak. So you can see that certainly be appetising I'm sure to to do that and bring a guy um, of you know whether it's a guy Miles Turner's as ilk or someone else at that level into that five spot. I mean you are giving up you know a fair bit of your your future really if you're talking Wiseman and even Moody and, and certainly Kaminga. I think would be the guy that they'd be trying to leave out of any of those discussions. But yeah, uh, really really tough one. I think Wiseman's currency probably has deteriorated a fair bit even from the off season where um, people were sort of looking at. Wiseman and, and the picks before they were actually selected as trade baits. And I think the fact Wiseman hasn't played again this season so far uh, certainly hasn't helped increase his value at all. So, look, it, it could be an opportunity there for them to to do that and bring in a guy to, to win now. And it'd be a very bold call. And, you know, the Warriors have said um, years ago that they were light years ahead of other organisations in their planning. So, it'd be very interesting to see that, a, you know, something like that um, would be a move they'd be. Um, seduced into, I suppose, to try and you know go all in onto this season. Yeah, it is fascinating, isn't it? It's they they are in a win now mode, but as you said, that they're trying to sort of walk that tightrope, I suppose, of competing now, but having a, a Wiseman, Kaminga, and Moody to sort of ha- help them sus- have a sustained excellence once. Curry and you know Draymond and Clay are gone, but uh, for me, I think if you if you're in a win now scenario, you owe it to Steph Curry and Draymond and and Clay to to do everything you can to win it. So I I would sort of have a look at that and see if you can get a Miles Turner type to to defend because there was no doubt DeAndre Ayton was clearly the best player on the court in that first game. You ran through his stats there offensively. He was just jump hooking them to death and he was he was so impactful on the defensive end as well we saw him switch out onto Steph and block that three point shot that uh, Steph attempted but he was just su- such a deterrent around the rim as well so and and even the game yesterday as well they were going to him inside now look Draymond Green's defense was absolutely outstanding yesterday especially in that first quarter he was poking the ball away and he did force 
Aiton into some tough sort of turnarounds uh, far away from the basket. But but there's still a, a level of concern there that someone like an Aiton can get on on top of Golden State. So, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do go all in and look to trade for a big man. But but what about the defense we saw on Mikael Bridges? Uh, Mikael Bridges uh, played on Steph Curry. Was that just a matter of Steph Curry having an off night? Or do you think that maybe that someone like Mikael Bridges is someone that can trouble Curry in a long playoff series? Yeah, he probably hasn't looked as flustered as since our man Pelavadova was harassing him all those years ago. But no, seriously, it was a, a terrible night for Steph. He was in that first game, 4 of 21 from the field, 3 of 14. From three, look, to his credit, he continued to jack him up and just hope to get one or two going to, to get himself rolling. And it was Jordan Paul that sort of kept him in it, particularly early in that game, um, in the, uh, we'll call it game one, I suppose. But yeah, Curry, Curry was um, yeah under all sorts of pressure from Bridges in particular. Uh, it was interesting to, to see his offensive numbers, Bridges, really diminished this one. He only had the four field goal attempts and whether it was you know fully just focused in on the defensive end and that was just where they were going. And it was... Uh, even in the second game when Steph either, ever went off the floor or back on the floor, um, they were very quick Phoenix to, to bring Bridges back into the game and clearly defined into that role. And he's just got that extra length and versatility that's going to trouble a guy like Curry. But um, as we saw in the end um, the other day, Curry was able to shake it free a little bit and, and still have an impact. And um, But look, I, I don't think it's going to be pleasurable at all for him in a, in a longer seven-game series to, to have to you know have that type of level of, uh, player chasing him, but you know we we have seen just recently the last couple of games. Although Curry's you know scoring numbers have still been good, he has put a, a couple of ordinary shooting performances uh, together. I mean he had the twenty seven points to the game today against the Spurs, but it was off twenty eight field goal attempts. So he shot uh, really poorly today, seven of twenty eight from the field. So you know that's down a forty three percent for the season he is now, Steph. Well, he shoots a lot from three, but forty three percent from the season. Yeah, that's, that's certainly low for him. And, yeah, as I said, there's been a couple of nights like that. But, look, he'll keep shooting and he'll, he'll keep it going. I saw him um, land one from the stairwell, I think it was, in the pregame today that um, uh, was just extraordinary <laughs> when he was doing his warm-up shots. But, yeah, he, he'll get it going. But, yeah, Bridges has certainly elevated himself up. I think there was people getting a little bit carried away, you know, almost talking like he was going to become, you know, maybe an all-star this year or defensive player of the year and these type of things. So they're big, big statements. Uh, for a guy like Bridges, who, you know, still, I think, you know, finding his way a little bit. But, yeah, such a, a, a key punch in that Phoenix lineup, and particularly on the defensive end. Oh, he, he certainly is. So we saw yesterday, you know, Golden State responded. Not surprisingly, as usually happens, the role players play much better at home. Now, Tuscano Anderson was horrible uh, in that first game, and I know that because he, he gave, gave away five or six turnovers, which has cost me that uh, stat in, in fantasy this week, Caddy, because I had him for that game and it killed me. Every one of those killed me. But he was huge yesterday, including throwing down one of the one of the best dunks of the season and one of the worst commentary pieces on that dunk. I, I know that they were sort of discussing um, one of the, the referees' had, uh, cancer situation. So he was, was in a bit of a tough situation, but that was a massive dunk that uh, Tuscano, Tuscano Anderson threw down and he was fantastic during the game. Gary Payton the second was also really good. So as I said, th- those role players do tend to play better at home. So we've now seen them play each other uh, once, obviously. Uh, sorry, seen each other play, play each other twice. It's, it's one all. Obviously, Phoenix didn't have Devin Booker for that second game. We did see Mikael Bridges leave for a 
not too long with that dislocated finger, and they made out as if he was playing with a broken leg. I couldn't believe how much Mark Jackson was carrying on about the courage of a man playing with a dislocated finger, for God's sakes. There's no, surely you can play basketball with a dislocated finger. But anyway, um, so where do you sit with these two teams now? For me, they're clearly the, the best two teams in the West. Which team have you got a leaning to if you're going to pick a title winner uh, today? Yeah, great question. Look, I'm probably leaning slightly with Phoenix. I think just last year's playoff chops for them were so important to give them belief that they're able to compete at the level in the Western Conference. I think there's still question marks for the Warriors clearly around, you know, with Clay coming in and, you know, how that, that's going to integrate, what type of shape he's going to be in, what sort of level of play he's going to be able to, to serve up after missing so much time. And they're going to give him every opportunity to, to find his way um, and they'll probably go down swinging with him um, whether he's you know taking them to the title or he's the reason they lose, that's the sort of level of respect I'm sure they have on him. So I, I just think Phoenix are a little bit better balanced at this stage. Um, you know, I think there's still a trade to be made for them. I think they could look at moving off Dario Saric, who's you know going to be missing the season with a knee, and, and move his contract somewhere else and maybe get something back that can help them um, this year as well. Yeah, I think there's still some concerns for them in their backup. Um, Guard rotation, you know, campaign sort of can be hot and cold. Landry Shamit's, you know, been serviceable and Alfred Payton. I think there's still some issues there. You know, if there was a significant injury or, or time missed by Paul or Booker, and we've, we've just seen it now with Booker missing and the reliance there. Not the other day for a guy like campaign to come in, I think he missed his first nine shots in that game. So He was, he was know, horrendous. He was absolutely horrendous in that game yesterday. Yeah, and that, that's the concern, I think around Phoenix, but I think just for now, I'd have them slightly ahead. Uh, we do see them play again. I think it's Christmas Day or Boxing Day our time, which will be yep. awesome. Um, so that'll be sort of round three. I, I assume they play four times. Um, but, yeah, I think it was probably unusual to see two games so quickly um, spaced together with the teams with the records they had so early in the season. It was almost a, a bit of a waste, I think, when we get back to the end of the season to look back and, and it's a shame they had to play so early because – because really, yeah, it doesn't count for a lot in November, but uh, or, or December. So, yeah, look, both both clearly out in front at the moment, and and hopefully um, Devin Booker is not too far away, and neither is Clay Thompson. They both come out on Christmas Day, and we get both both these teams at full strength. Yeah, that that would be great. No, I, I agree with you. I've just got a slight leaning toward Phoenix at that first game. I think convince me, but, uh, I mean, obviously Golden State did respond in that second game. They, they were scorching hot from three yesterday, Golden State. They were they were throwing everything in, including that one where Steph from shot that corner three and it looked like it was never going to go in and it sort of bounced up high and somehow bounced off the backboard from a corner three. So that was unbelievable. But, yeah, I totally agree that that backup sort of guard department does need a bit of a boost as as i said before camp campaign was absolutely horrendous yesterday hit two shots in a row late in that third quarter but apart from that didn't give him anything so if they get an injury to paul or booker you know they're starting shamit at the moment with with booker out they, they definitely do need to upgrade that backup uh, guard rotation and if they can do that I, I think they're definitely the team to beat in the western conference so we'll call it there, Caddy. As I say every week, thank you to everybody who continues to download the podcast. If you haven't jumped on Apple Podcasts as yet and given us a five-star rating, please do that. That would be much appreciated. Also, jump on the Facebook page, like the page there, and we do post every episode there. Until next week, speak to you then.